SequelCast 2 is part of the Batman Podcast Network. For more information, go to batman-on-film.com. So you gotta ask yourself, what's the valuable stuff? It's like I asked you before. What were you really fighting for? I was afraid. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2, a podcast looking at films in a franchise one movie at a time. I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shergi, and with me is Thrasher. This is the rematch everyone's been waiting to see. That's right. We are taking a look at the Great White Hype. No, we are looking at Creed 2. The depending on if you count it as part of the Rocky franchise, which it certainly sort of is, it would be the eighth Rocky movie or the second Creed movie, depending on how you count. Well, potentially the third Creed movie, if you you count uh, the one where Apollo Creed dies, Rocky IV. Oh, yeah, right. I mean, you could, that would be, I didn't think of doing this as a double feature, but that would certainly work for this picture, you know. So... Yeah, because because this this is this is the return of of Ivan Drago, and I was I did not see this in the theaters because I was really skeptical about it in large part because that was part of the the, the premise for this movie. Uh, I am happy to say that I was wrong. Like uh, they they found a way to bring that character back into this film series in a very textured, organic way. Yeah, and I think what what made me a bit nervous though and it still sort of does is it seems like Sylvester Stallone you know he has ownership over Rocky which rightfully he does he he wrote the screenplay and this one he has a screenwriting credit but he did not on, on the first Creed um, although I believe he polished uh, Rocky's lines on that one but uh, anyhow it, seem, it seems like the character should have died a few movies ago with Rocky and and that that he he's like a Timex he takes a lick and keeps on ticking I don't know if if a Rocky if a Creed three or a Rocky eight or a nine ten happens, uh, I I presume it would be we would we would be the 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 death for Rock of Rocky. Give him a nice dramatic death scene. Yeah, I mean, as we, um, I believe it, God, Paul Goebel or something was was someone was on as a guest years ago to for a Rocky three episode. And then one of the original ideas for Rocky Three, Stallone was going to have um, Rocky fight another boxer in a Roman Coliseum and die. <laughs> oh, I do remember that. So yeah. that's yeah, I believe that was that was our episode on Rocky Three with uh, Paul Goebel from the Paul from then from the Paul Goebel show. Yep, friend of the show. Uh, well, I'm sure we'll have him on again at some point. But yeah, so Creed Two came out 2018. Uh, so three years after the first Creed and um, some of those old Rocky movies, they came out, you know, one or two years after the other. But I like that you take a bit more time 
between sequels. Uh, in fact, you know, you think they'd do a Creed three now, but uh, Michael B. Jordan, the star, is is becoming such a doing such high profile projects and stuff. It's they're just trying to pin down a time to do it. Well, you but had you the, had Michael B. Jordan, Tessa Thompson in the first Creed, and then they both became Marvel superheroes, and I'm sure they command much higher fees now. Well, and and have to be in a lot more Marvel movies. Well, except I mean. But his character died in Black Panther. Whatever. Okay. Back to the point. Creed 2. Um, so this is directed by Stephen Capel Jr. Uh, they tried to get the director from the first Creed to do it, Ryan Coogler, but he thought he did uh, everything he wanted to do in the first movie. Uh, originally, it was announced Sylvester Stallone was going to direct this, hmm. but then uh, they had some meetings and decided uh, a person of of color should, should direct this and someone younger, you know, give a younger filmmaker... Uh, a shot at, do, at doing a, a Rocky film, uh, or Creed film, rather. So they picked Stephen Capel Jr., who I understand was a, a friend of um, the director of the first film. Uh, he was named one of uh, Hollywood's uh, 30 Under 30 in the 2017 Forbes uh, magazine. So it it was uh, really quite something. And I think this, the, the directing style he does like matches up pretty first with that first Creed movie. They feel like they're part of the same universe. It's not like you have all these wacky camera angles going around. No. And uh, if Creed 1 had notes of Creed, or what am I talking about? Notes of uh, Rocky and Rocky 2. <laughs> Rocky. This one is like a combination, I think, of Rocky 2 and Rocky 3 and Rocky 4. So, so it, in, it includes all the elements of the top three Rockies. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we can talk about that as we go on. Um, the first time I saw this movie was for the show. And like you, I almost, I got really, really close to seeing it in the theater. But something about the posters of Michael B. Jordan on his knees screaming in the boxing rain or the poorly photoshopped Sylvester Stallone with the wrinkles ironed out uh, in the corner behind him just didn't really work for me. Like, I was like, really? They're going to have him fight the son of someone else? So in some interviews, Stallone has pitched the idea of Creed Three of... Um, Creed fighting the son of um, Clubber Lane, Mr. T's character, which I think is an, that's an awful idea. Just like make up new bad guys for him to fight. And the thing is, they don't even have to be bad guys. That was one of the strengths of uh, yeah, yeah, right. of the early Rocky films. It's not it's not good versus evil. It's just two boxers trying to go the difference, go the distance, and distance. surrounded by all this hype. And that is something that this movie does. Is that uh, when it comes down to it. Uh, Ivan Drago's son is not an evil person, and really neither is Ivan Drago. Uh, they're just two people in in somewhat difficult circumstance, but they're not they're not monsters. They're certainly not portrayed as inhuman the way Drago was portrayed in Rocky Four. Yeah, and that was a nice um, surprise of this film. Um, so let's uh, let's get into it. Creed two, the the beginning I think was was a bit rushed because you're you're setting up that um, Adonis Creed, you know, played by Michael B. Jordan, has won the uh, heavyweight championship in the beginning, and it almost feels like you're watching something in fast forward. Like I didn't quite get the gravity of the situation in that fight at the beginning. Well, well, it it opens with the kind of fight that would end any other movie. Yeah, you're right, and it's. I don't, like maybe if they did this as a as a montage like in Rocky Three or something that would be cool. But yeah, this it's just like 
you're into a fight, like you're you're thrown off your game. And, and yeah, as you said, it's like a pretty lengthy fight like you'd see at the end of a movie and you don't know the context of who he, he's fighting against really. But, but but it is well choreographed. That's something mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. forever have to give to the, the movies in this franchise. The boxing matches are very well choreographed and very well filmed. I felt every one of those punches land. Yeah, I think a stylistic difference between the Creed films and Stallone's Rocky films is uh, Stallone loved to slather on the slow motion and like amp up the sound effects or if someone got hit, it would be like... And in this, it's more of a naturalistic uh, shooting style. Yeah, but but still, you feel uh, you feel the intensity. I think they probably let the people take real hits at some point, which. Uh... Yeah, well, I think they, I I don't know because there there is one slow motion shot uh, later on in the film, which it does look like a punch really connected. But I'm but it's also entirely possible there's some CGI going on, and just the slow mm-hmm. motion is helping to cover it up. Um, but I think the, the reason the movie starts like this is that in this movie. The stakes are largely or largely personal and emotional, right? And you you have also the continued development of the character of uh, Adonis's girlfriend uh, Bianca, played by Tessa Thompson, and you know they were boyfriend and girlfriend, and then he proposes to her, but she's um, going deaf and and has trouble hearing him. Yeah, it's introduced in the first uh, Creed that she has a de- she has a degenerative condition in her inner ear that is slowly causing her to lose uh, to lose her hearing, which which is you know I- ironic as she she's a DJ and a uh, and a sound mixer and so uh, that that comes to a head here. She is now uh, very much uh, she uses the hearing aid uh, hearing hearing aids throughout all of this film. And I love the uh, I, I love the vulnerability that comes out in uh, the proposal scene because it's a great bit where after the fight, uh, Creed and Rocky are like walking down you know walking down the the corridors at the hotel, and he's trying to get pointers from Rocky on how he proposes. <laughs> and, and, and he, really I almost good. thought I'm, I'm glad they they stopped themselves from doing a flashback because you just have Rocky explaining the scene. So I was in the zoo with the tiger and. Uh, I got done on my knees. It was snowing outside, pretty cold. Would you mind terribly marrying me very much? You know? <laughs> yeah, it, that. I mean, they very easily could have done. I, I, I was getting flashbacks to all the flashbacks in Rocky Balboa, yeah. where they kept on showing clips over and over again of sad piano music, and I'm like, don't do that. And and they're pretty restrained. I mean, because in this Creed, you know, eventually fights um, even Drago's son. You do get some clips from Rocky Four and stuff, but they're pretty tasteful of keeping that to a minimum or making it like a, a picture in a newspaper. Well, beyond that, though, when we see those those clips, a lot of them are like on uh, or on. He sees them on TV on like sporting events, talk mm-hmm. shows. But it is just the footage of the movie, which <laughs> which I like to imagine. Like on the one hand, I thought probably is the best way to do it. They don't do any digital trickery. On on the other hand, like. I'm now imagining that fight happening with cameramen standing in the ring because that's the only way you could get some of those angles <laughs> for those retrospectives. That's right. I mean, nowadays you could even have drones be the cameraman, right? Have them fly in really close. Well, today, yeah. now, yeah. yeah but, today, but but the actual proposal is actually like delightful because he does this. She's she's finished up in the shower, 
And so Creed just starts going and doing this whole speech mm-hmm. and then gets down to the one knee and it turns out she didn't have her hearing aid and she didn't hear him. Yeah. But then she sees him with the ring and realizes what she just missed. And it's it's really it's really nice just like seeing seeing their their relationship develop. Oh, and she's like, You serious? Don't be she's like, Don't be fucking with me. Like it it yeah, like it's it's a nice kind of turn between the characters. And then you see um Adonis, who uh, Donnie, right, who is a, a tough guy boxer, like being really vulnerable, and it's it it's a good flip side to kind of his his um, all the anger issues he had in the first film, uh, and yet as you mentioned, you know, I believe that the movie opened showing uh, in Russia with um, even Drago, and uh, he has his son, and Drago lost the fight in Rocky Four, and he paid a price. He. <laughs> Yeah, we learned that there there was a there was a cost for him, and and the the short version was like he 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 was seen he was he was sort of built up as this perfect machine. Well, that machine failed, so he's he's jumped in the scrapyard. Uh, his life went to hell. Uh, the uh, Russian government would no longer back him. He lost his uh, he lost his wife Ludmilla. Uh, that uh, he really had nowhere to go. So now it's just him sort of training in the streets, training training his son to try to be the fighter that it turns out he wasn't back in the day. And even though they don't get a whole lot of dialogue, uh, Dolph Lundgren and um, his son uh, Victor Drago, and Victor is played by... Uh, Florina Big Nasty Man, uh, Mont- Montanu. Yep, who is a fighter in real life and kind of resembles uh, Dolph Lundgren. I think the acting is pretty good, you know, like there's a lot of just what Uwe Boll would call face acting where there, there's no dialogue and they just have to use expressions almost like silent film acting and and what you what you have there is uh you do feel kind of bad for Drago but at the same time like what he did to he killed Apollo Creed uh Donnie's father in the ring. Yeah, and, and and that's something and and perhaps my memory of Rocky 4 is a bit fuzzy but it was my it was my understanding that like he did that Apollo did die in the ring but it wasn't sort of yeah. portrayed as murder it was sort of like you know a medical complication that happened due to the fight but in this in this film it's just flat out stated oh yeah he was killed in the ring uh, he was murdered in the ring by Ivan Drago and everyone including Ivan seems to agree with that maybe it i mean you could also call that could be reading a bit into this but uh you could call it commentary on on what how the news would report something uh sugar-coated a bit you know in the 80s and now i think you would get people more uh, calling them on their shit for what it is quite possibly and and i do like that that even rocky feels culpable i mean even he says several times you know, i he should have thrown in the towel he had the power to yeah. end that fight but he decided that no, let's let's keep going, let's keep going the distance, and it and it cost you know, his his friend Apollo his life. So I, I like that 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 death resonates with so many characters throughout this film. You get a great scene early on where uh, even Drago goes into Rocky's restaurant. Oh yeah, and tries to sort of politely set sort of politely, but also in an invasive way, set up a match, uh, between, between Creed and, uh, Creed and Victor. And I love the body language in that scene because, uh, mm. 
Dolph Lundgren really tries to hold himself like a monolith. He he's holding himself like a rock, and uh, Rocky's there, kind of trying to lean in, but he's also a little bit close. He's a little bit closed off. You can tell that there's some trepidation there. But one thing I love is that when they talk, when they sit down to talk, they're both sitting at different tables. Yeah, I mean that's literally the distance between them. You think oh, of the yeah. scene of Citizen Kane with the, the husband and the wife at the end of the lawn dinner table. It's it's just a lot of, of things unsaid. And I think if you watch this movie without watching Rocky IV first, or if you haven't seen it in a while, rewatch Rocky IV, you, you're doing yourself a disservice. I'm not sure if this movie by itself sells uh, the relationship between these two. It assumes you walk in knowing these things on the other hand as we said this is the eighth movie in a series yeah there's a, there's a lot of uh, a lot of background material to dig through a lot of background material a lot of baggage um and as you mentioned you know rocky's regret at throwing in the towel it absolutely makes sense that rocky does not want donnie to do this fight and donnie becomes uh petulant and and it's and it's neat to see them play off each other because because Donnie continues to come off as is young, not necessarily inexperienced, but sort of brash. And you know he's mm-hmm. as Rocky points out, he's got nothing to prove. He's the heavyweight champion of the world. Uh, he, uh, it's already proven, but uh, but Adonis he. It's it's difficult. It's when when you've been fighting to prove something your whole life. It's it's difficult to understand that there is a time to stop. And so so them eventually getting getting into that match between Adonis and Victor, it it completely works. And it is it is uh, and and it does sting when Rocky you know, tells him, "Well, if you if you get into that ring, you're going to go in alone. I can't be part of this fight." It stings. It's realistic for the character. It's not cartoonish. Like so far, I think the movie is pretty good. It's setting things up. Um, you have a great scene where uh, Donnie and um, Bianca are, are in Los Angeles in this very, frankly, like you know, like multi-million-dollar apartment. Really, I mean, look at all that space. And, and, and <laughs> we can having, afford it. Uh, yeah, right. Um, and they're having supper with um, Apollo's widow. Played by Felicia Rasad from the Cosby Show, who has more to do in this movie, I think, than than the first. And just that scene where she realizes before uh, Donnie does that she's pregnant, that uh, Bianca's pregnant. Oh, I know. That's that's oh, that so is good. delightful. And I think that also goes a long way into sort of showing that the relationship between uh, between Apollo and Bianca is on fast forward because it's like boom, 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 you know, proposal, pregnancy, childbirth, child rearing. Mm-hmm. It just, it comes at you real fast. It's a really compressed timeline. What do you think about Donnie's trainer being the son of Duke Rocky's trainer from Rocky Balboa? I, it, it, you know, funnily, funnily enough, I didn't realize that it was supposed to be Duke's son until right now. Hmm. Like they, I feel like the the movie doesn't exactly express it. Like thematically, thematically, I think it makes perfect sense. Uh, so much of this movie is about the sons of people from previous Rocky movies coming together, um, and he does he does he does do a good a good job. But like I I did not notice it completely sailed by me. And also, even he's called like Little Duke at some point. He's still pretty damn old. I thought it was kind of weird. They could have, they could have used someone. Yeah, I, I don't. I think that's well, he, okay. I think that's a bit too cutesy for me. He's from a long line of old grizzled boxers. They're just 
born old and grizzled. <laughs> Your name's gonna be Duke. You're gonna be old. You're gonna train him. Hit hard. Hit fast. Yeah. Uh, and and this first match uh, that you have between Victor and uh, Creed or Donnie is, I think, my favorite one in the film. It's it, it is true. It has it has more more impact than the the one we get in the climax and i think that's in part because they really work hard to make you feel all the pain that donnie is feeling and and he comes out of that fight in bad shape uh the rundown the rundown on his injuries he's got like a a bruised a bruised bladder uh, a ruptured kidney Mm, uh multiple cracked ribs and when he when his ribs get cracked and the way uh, Victor just keeps laying under those cracked ribs, it is really intense. And there's so much frenetic action in the ring. I love it when they create contrast where they cut back to Rocky in his restaurant, just kind of cleaning up, making dough, but also watching the fight. And you see, you know, you, you can sort of see Rocky's heart slowly getting broken as his protege, as he watches his protege take that beating. Not just that, but Victor pulls kind of a bitch move of hitting Creed after he knocks him down. Oh yeah, which that which gets does. DQ'd. Yeah, that does factor into the in, into the uh, into the plot because yeah, when when the fight is all over, it's a it comes down to a judge's decision, and because Victor punched him while he was down, Victor is disqualified. So uh, Donnie is still the world heavyweight champion. Right, and and, and you have all these things going on. With um, you know, Rocky flies over from Philly to to visit Creed in the hospital, and then that's a and there's a scene they cut out um that's not that's not on the disc from what I understand that both uh, Sylvester Stallone and Dolph Lundgren were very upset it was not in the film, but the director Stephen Cable Jr. had final cut, and it was when Rocky goes to visit Creed in the hospital as he's walking out, he he bumps into Drago and they fight. Really? In the in the hospital, yeah. Huh. There, there, there's some photos of Instagram. I mean, they don't fight in a boxing ring, right? I don't know if it's more than a pushing match. It's just like a brawl. Or... It's a bit of a more like a, yeah, like a brawl. And I think that would have been a nice moment. On the other hand, this movie is called Creed 2, not Rocky 8. But to get some physical confrontation between those two, I think would have been uh, rewarding uh, for me as a fan of the series. Yeah. But this is a this is a crushing moment uh, for for Donnie, who you know is, it goes into physical therapy, and this leads into the one thing in this movie that does not work for me at all, and that's the fake blood. The fake mm. blood in this movie is so loose and watery. It it really it it is pink Kool Aid. Whether it's blood in the urine or blood in the ring or blood on people's faces, it's just like they dribbled Kool Aid on them. There there is no there's no substance to this blood. You want more clotting, more well, thick, I mean, more viscous. Real blood is thick, yeah. uh, sticky, and most importantly, uh, opaque. But all the blood in this film is so transparent, and and it really, it it it. Every time I see it, it just reminds me. Oh yeah, movie magic. No one actually got punched, mm. despite the fact that I was feeling all those punches in the fight. I I do like the makeup for the swelling on his face. No, that's that's a good effect. So you you have this with uh, Bianca is feeling a bit disconnected. Adonis is just like, super super depressed. I mean, that's something I was not expecting that he he stays in the in this state 
recovering for a while. But on the other hand, he had like the shit kicked out of him, like you said. He didn't die like his father, but he probably became, you know, kind of close to death. And they could have they could have played up that part a bit more. And uh, but what what about the touch about the their daughter? I I liked it. It's it's funny. There, there were, well, there was one thing because it because it's mentioned early on in a scene that you know she she asked, well, what ha- what happens if if our if our child is deaf because my condition can be hereditary, mm-hmm. uh, and that and that does finally you know come up after the baby is born. We see them running uh, running uh, an ear test, and the results look look negative. It looks like the baby the baby can't hear. And it does it does hit Donnie pretty hard. Like Donnie does does seem uh, crestfallen, but then that that fact of of the baby's life it is just kind of is just kind of dropped uh, for the rest of the film. And and I wish I wish it did come back a little bit more because I mean, admittedly, you know, if if you have uh, having a child with a disability that can come as a shock, and that that does mean you know some adjustments uh, often means some adjustments to your lifestyle. But at the same time, um, the first time in this film that we see Donnie and Bianca interacting, they're both using sign language. So it's not as if, in a way, they are completely prepared for this, but neither one seems to seems to know that. You know, they're they're scared. They don't want their their new daughter to to have a what do you call it? You know, like a disability or a difficulty in life. Uh, it's yeah. I don't know. I sort of felt for them at the same time. I thought, like, well, that's awfully convenient. You know, I mean, uh, Donnie has has gone through a lot in this movie already, and now you're going to add that his daughter is deaf on top of that, like, or, or has the hearing issues. It's it's just more weight to throw in the characters back. Um, a, a scene I, I would have liked more of is is uh, back in Russia. There's a state dinner, and uh, as a guest is. Um, the the wife of Ivan, played by um, Bridget oh, Nielsen. Bridget Nielsen, and I I I could have done like a, a whole movie about that scene. Like there's so, the, the dialogue is like too sparse for me, but like you can feel the coldness between the characters and uh, Ivan's son just like storms out. As Victor, he's just like so has all these mommy issues and is so mad and. Well, this is this is one of those scenes that really humanizes both characters because, like, mm-hmm. like Victor kind of rightly you know points out why are we working so hard to impress, hang out with, and bask in the affection of the very people who abandon you when you were at your lowest point? We're we're better than this. We don't need to be here. And like, it's th- this this is such a delightfully humanizing moment for both of them, but but especially Victor. Um, this got me on Victor's side and really helped make getting through that final final round or final fight in this film so difficult. Because in a way, I don't want either to lose. And this scene has a lot to do with that. But Victor should have had more scenes in this picture is the point I'm trying to make. It's, it's not that, like... That's true. It's not like uh, even Drago in the first one had all sorts of scenes in Shakespearean monologues. Like, not really. They sort of made him into this, like, Frankenstein monster thing with all the, the robotic, all the special training. But you at least had, had something there, like, more scenes with his um, rep- his agent or whatever. And, and, and this... An extra five minutes, even ten minutes, I would love, you know, of the Victor, even Ivan storyline uh, would have done wonders. You know, that's that's true. And now that I think about it, because uh, uh, Ivan, you know, pointed out earlier, you know, says, she left us, you know, obviously referring mm-hmm. referring to, to his wife, Ludmilla. 
we I don't think Ludmilla says a single word in this movie. No. There mm-hmm. probably should have been an interaction or confrontation or something between Ivan and Ludmilla or especially Victor and Ludmilla. Well, when Bridget Nielsen used to date Stallone, I don't, I'm not sure if they were married, but um, yeah, there's a lot of history <laughs> both on and off screen <laughs> with, with, uh, with these people. That, that they got her back is so cool and... Um, She's I was looking, not expecting it. Yeah, she's looking a lot better now. I mean, I'm most familiar with Bridget Nielsen from that those stupid VH1 reality shows with Flava Flav. Oh, yeah, she was in that one Flavor where they all had love, to live in a house with uh, with Vern Troyer. Um, the Surreal Life. Yeah, I think initially in the Surreal Life, but then later they did. Um, she was an item with Flava Flav, and they did some reality shows about that. Oh and like, wow! And, and she looked bad, like. You thought she was going to die or something. She looked really bad in those. But now, you know, she's lost weight. She looks better um, in this film, even though there's no dialogue, which is a shame. I think it um, there could have been, but you still feel that, that frosty kind of, uh, kind of prevence. But uh, having a daughter turns out to be uh, what what Donnie needs because once that happens he now has something to fight for and he goes back he and Rocky uh, reconnect and he finally you know gets gets back into shape and we get the mo- training montage to end all training montages of uh, you know, uh, Rocky taking Apollo or I'm sorry taking Donnie out into the desert where there's this gym <laughs> open air gym in the middle of the desert where boxers we rock bottom come and push those back together and uh, yeah and and he does everything you'd expect him to do he 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 spars with this like you know tattooed guy uh there's uh he messes around with the big heavy ropes which if that's the thing if if movies have taught me nothing it's if you really want to get into shape you start messing around with big heavy ropes i i've worked out with those ropes before they call them battle ropes and um it's a good workout but if if you don't have good balance you can like knock yourself on your ass just wheeling those ropes around. It's 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 a lot harder than it looks. When he was going to do the training, I was almost hoping he'd do it in Russia. Uh, I, I thought they were <laughs> going to do that way, but it's kind of the opposite of Rocky Four, right? Instead of doing it in the cold of winter in the log cabin, he does it like out in the hot in this almost like Mad Max feeling sort oh, of yeah. uh, kind of hellscape of a gym. And and the scene, you know, where. Uh, Rocky's in a car and he has to jog to catch up and he collapses and he eventually gets up. I thought it was it was pretty well done. They get across the point that he's injured and yet he's still pushing his body so damn hard. Oh yeah. Well another way they do that is that one thing they repeatedly cut to in the montage is Apollo having what looks like a like a half deflated medicine ball slammed into his chest while mm-hmm. he's hanging from a bar. Yeah. And like the first few times he does that, he falls down and he starts coughing up more of that Kool-Aid blood. But by the end, they're just wailing on him with the medicine balls and he feels nothing. And, and that's a more modern way to deal with like what they did in the first film when he does like sit-ups and then he gets punched in the chest, if, in the stomach a few times. You know, you're trying to toughen that part the body up through uh, through repeated exposure um but it, but it, you know it all, it all builds up to the eventual rematch uh with victor which is which due to their insistence is done in russia yeah. so it's well, victor's homecoming well they had to i mean i think that that was such a memorable part of the first film even though it's not the cold war now it, it, there's still uh, tensions between the the u.s and russia to put it mildly oh oh, oh certainly yeah 
and that's oh, so that that's actually something I, I really like. I love seeing both of them come out with their entourages, but um, it, they it's repeatedly you know mentioned that Bianca is trying to do some work in the studio, and that's part of why they moved to L.A. is she wanted to do some more work on her recording career. So I love that that uh, Donnie's intro is this whole big set piece where Bianca comes out singing this pop song that she mm-hmm. has presumably written about him. Uh, one thing that I could not uh, find in my pre-search is whether that is Tessa Thompson singing with some maybe some uh, voice sweetening or if that is... Or if that's somebody else laying down the, no, the vocal track. It's it's her and really cool. Yeah, yeah I mean, she, she had a few tracks in the first film. This one, I think it's just a, it's less of them, but it's pretty neat and a, a different way to have a character come out in the rain, and it, it strengthens the the bond between the the two characters. They give um, Tessa Thompson gets a bit more to do, I, I feel, on this movie than the than the first one. Um, she's she's much more of a premise a, pre- a present she got some, has more dialogue she has she has a bit of an arc yeah not not huge but so you have the uh the final fight and i don't know it just it doesn't feel as savage as that one in the middle of the film it's it just is missing something there's nothing it's a it's a fine fight scene there's nothing wrong with it on the face of it, but there's something in the way that it's done, or maybe it's the how the story feels at this point. It doesn't have the oomph that it should to get across that finish line. Well, I think I think part of it is a big part of this fight is that uh, Donnie does effectively sustain all the same injuries he sustained in the first fight, and I think that that parallel action rather than sort of making a scene that mm. echoes or resonates with what came before, just makes it feel like, yeah, I already saw this fight. I know how this goes. Right. Um, and, and, the, and strangely enough, the real turning point in the fight is not for him. He's already had, he's already been built up. The, the turning point is for Victor because the moment, the second thing, things turn, uh, fall out of Victor's favor uh, Ludmilla and all the other like Russian oligarch type characters, for lack of a better term, just get up and leave. Yeah, that's and, a good moment, and and we and we see it and we see it affect him, and I th- and I think that's it, like because when he because he probably could get up and keep boxing, but you know he you know he knows at that moment you know we've been doing this to impress them, they're gone, so there's no point. And then even Drago throws in uh, the the white flag. When that's what Rocky wanted to do to Apollo Creed, and he couldn't. I think that works uh, structurally and, and dramatically. Well, it also it also means that that uh, Ivan has also realized that they've been fighting for the wrong things, mm-hmm. and the fight doesn't yeah. even continue. Um, and so yeah, but it, but it's still I mean it's still like nice and triumphant, but it's a very but you're right it doesn't have the same it doesn't have the same impact as as the fight earlier the fight as the halfway point fight. <laughs> I mean that that he throws in the towel is I think that's a that's a good way to end the fight like I like that part of it thematically but it this fight maybe I should watch this fight again but I don't know it it, it could have used a little bit of extra juice uh, you also have the subplot that they don't focus a whole lot on that Rocky hasn't spoken to his son in years which I believe we talked about in the previous two Rocky films that he has a son that the series just kind of forgets about his yeah I mean his son was a big part of Rocky Balboa. There's several scenes between the two, and yeah, they. Uh, other than uh, the actor making a cameo, 
uh, towards the end as they go and, um, you know, lead Creed to his final fight in the ring or something, he's barely in it. So in this, I, I do like the, the kind of closure at the end. You have Rocky meeting up with his son, Robert, and he gets to see his grandson. What's well, a wonderful fake out because they make you think that he's going back to his apartment when in fact he's yes, going to, yeah, to his son's that's apartment. Right. And uh, I was surprisingly moved at that scene. I wasn't really expecting that. Well, but... it's it's not exactly like built up because we never really learn why they're mm-hmm. estranged no. or why they're just they're just two different people who drift apart. But I think it is that generational thing: the grandfather, the son, the grandson. Although I am kind of shocked. I I thought that the I thought that the son was going to turn out to be named Adrian, since that's you know that's a name that works equally well for mm. for boys or girls. Yeah. I was waiting for that. Especially since this movie again revives the tradition of Rocky visiting Adrian's grave. Sure, where he has the the chair and the tree and sits down next to it. Still has the turtles too, in a really high tech looking fish tank. And, I mean, turtles live for a long time. Allegedly, they're the same turtles. I don't know. <laughs> I, I hope that's. I'd like to believe that's true. Well, did, didn't we riff in an earlier movie that somebody in Rocky's life was secretly switching the turtles out? <laughs> I think so. I'm just reminded of a film we need to cover on this show, but they did those two more recent Ninja Turtles movies. Oh, and yeah. In one of them, they make the connection that April O'Neil, when she was a kid, had four pet turtles, and she would feed them pizza as a snack. And those oh. same turtles became the Ninja Turtles. I, I will save my opinions on that for when we cover that series. Um, uh, yeah, with the turtles with human lips. It's disturbing. Um, and and the, other, the other thing, so... So there's two other things in the wrap up uh, that I like is because there is this bit, you know, where we hear like the, the, the commentators talking and there's this great moment. So we, we saw the just the brutal way that Victor trained in this movie. And one of the ways he trained is like he would he would run down the street and Ivan would essentially try to run him over with the car. So he had to keep running faster and yeah, faster. Yeah. But what I really love is that at the end, it's it's Victor running, jogging down the same street. And then Ivan just comes up and they jog together. Mm-hmm. Like there's sort of a new, bo- there's there's a more parental child bond between them now. Um, you know, that's how we know that they've developed is that they, they can now, they can now train as people rather than machines, which I thought was, was really powerful and uh, left me very satisfied. Right. I mean, this, this movie um, cost, according to Box Office Mojo, cost 50 million while the first Creed cost 34 million. This also made a bit more. This made two hundred fourteen million when the first one made mm-hmm. uh, like one seventy five or something in that ballpark. So I think we're going to see a Creed three. Um, they want uh, the studio wants Michael B. Jordan to direct it, although I don't think he's directed anything. But uh, and that's never stopped people before. Well, well, that might be how you guarantee you get him back uh, and possibly at a at a, a lower fee if he has the option to direct and gets all those points on the back end. Right. So it's um, just one of those things. I think it's he, his star, um, Michael B. Jordan's star, has really risen quite high. And to, uh, yeah, I hope with Creed three, they just try something with the plot that's a bit more original. Creed two could have been a lot worse, but um, I'll give it a very mild sequel, yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give it a sequel. Yes, I, this this film series still affects me. I mm-hmm. still yeah. sort of thrilled every fight. I still, I for for whatever reason, the Rocky series is like in a constant state of renewal. Uh, I have yet to be 
I have yet to be disappointed in these films. I don't consider, like, e- even as, as histrionic as Rocky Four is, I don't think it's a waste of time. I think it is a good movie in its own unique way, and I I really enjoyed Creed too. It is a it is a, an unqualified sequel, yes, from me. Very good. Uh, let's go on to a sequel. Um, I can't sequel think right pitch. now. Thank you. Yes, sequel pitch. It's a bit early in the morning. Uh, pitch or sequel? Yes. Uh, so I <laughs> the idea that. I had, as you have at the end, you know, they're they're with the family. Everyone's all together at Apollo's grave, and Bianca has the granddaughter with the hearing aids and all this stuff. I would want to set this in. Um, it would open with the end of Creed Two with them at the grave, and then you would uh, sharp cut to black, and a title card says two thousand years later," <laughs> and this would be uh, in in outer space in a suspended sort of space arena with this sort of see-through where you could look outside and see the galaxy. I think it's kind of like the restaurant at the end of the universe kind of thing with the windows. You can see the star fields outside. It is the future. And, um, the, um, you know, different alien overlords can genetically create, uh, boxers or whoever they want to fight each other. (laughs) And they find, uh, Creed, they create Creed, and he has to fight against his father. Donnie has to fight against <laughs> Apollo in a fight for the ages. And meanwhile, you would have kind of a subplot, sort of like the movie Casino, where all the aliens are, are doing, trying to like throw the throw the fight and have all sorts of financial malfeasance. And it would be called Creed Three Thousand. Well, you you realize that you're just you're effectively describing um, the. Uh, the direct-to-video sci-fi movie, The Arena, right? No, I've never seen it. It's it's worth it's worth checking out. It's okay. just a bunch of crazy aliens boxing. <laughs> and you also, man, I was going to do one involving cloning, although I was going to be uh, Creed versus Rocky, where they clone a young Rocky. Oh, and that's who, I could see okay, him actually fight. doing that, yeah. So I guess I'm going to have to do a serious pitch then. And my, my serious pitch for, for Creed 3... Um, is that it's going to be, we're, we're going to give Bianca much more screen time because the whole premise behind uh, Creed 3, you know, uh, Creed's at the top of his game, uh, but Bianca's star is on the rise. She is becoming uh, yeah. famous in her own right, and it's all about how their fame ends up sort of, they're, 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 their different versions of fame end up competing with each other. Uh, and it's all about you know, sort of like, 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 the whole the whole movie you're going to be tricked into thinking that they're going to get a get a divorce when in fact they're going to end up co- they're going to end up coming back together stronger than ever because it's all about how the celebrity gets blown out of proportion and how uh, various like uh, various people in the tabloid press want them to to play against each other. There's accusations of affairs and everything, and it, it is kind of very sort of tawdry behind the, behind the scenes stuff. But it will end with their marriage being stronger. And I'll just and what the hell I'll just call it Creed three. Why not? Would the two E's in Creed be threes? Might as well. I'm surprised that doesn't happen uh, more often. I mean, I'm still shocked that the new Jumanji isn't called Two Manji. I, I think it's really one of those things that uh, you saw that a lot in the early 2000s and um, in the aughts, as they say. <laughs> so, yeah, that's when Leet speak on cell phones was all the rage. So. There you go. Um, I think you got a question for me, Mr. Thrasher. Ah, yes, that question is, what you watching? That's right. So, I mean, we haven't, uh, listeners, we haven't recorded in a while. I I moved into a new house, which is exciting. Um, 
there's also been the holidays, which take up time. And uh, I also just got laid off, which is not a great um, development. But I will get back on my feet and all that. Just the timing's shitty. All that being said, I've had time to watch movies, right? <laughs> so uh, I have been... Uh, I caught the very bu- uh, first uh, out of three episodes of the new BBC Netflix collaboration, Dracula. Hmm. And uh, is, is it uh, is it uh, okay. a symphony of the night, or did you find it to be blah? Uh, so so. Uh, the thing that I kept giggling at the beginning is, uh, so far, it, like the first each episode is ninety minutes, and there's three of them, so it's pretty long. Uh, kind of like what they did with the Sherlock series, right, for each season. And you, you have um, the first half is is relatively faithful to. The, the book and then it kind of goes off on its own with some inspired twists but uh, what really surprised me is um, the actor that plays Dracula much like in uh, the Bram Stoker's Dracula movie and in the novel he starts old and he progressively gets younger looking but when the actor playing Dracula looks old he looks a lot like Dan Aykroyd in Nothing But Trouble <laughs> so it, that was really quite something I uh could not believe it, but it's. I think it's well shot. I think it's well done. Uh, I, I'm curious to see where it goes, though, because to spend 90 minutes up to the point where um, Dracula has not even gone in the Demeter to go to London yet is a lot of time. Hmm. So whether they do this story literally or take it in a new direction, I'm not really sure. But I, I would give a. I, I cannot really fully recommend it or not until I see the whole thing. What about you? What's something you've been watching? So I, I've seen a few things as well. Uh, I saw Best Picture nominee Joker. Oh, I, I have not seen that show yet. Uh, what do you think? Because you, you are much more, have read a lot more comics than me. You're very familiar with all the, the Batman, the Joker stuff. And uh, have you ever seen the Scorsese movie King of Comedy? Regrettably, no. That's something I've always wanted. I've seen a lot of Scorsese. I have not seen yeah. King of Comedy. I, I really it, want to. I believe though. it's still on Amazon Prime, but I, I'm, I've been told that's pretty much the same story as Joker. But anyhow, go on. How did you think of so Joker? I, I will probably need to see this again to make up my mind, but I can't. I cannot tell if this is a good bad movie or a bad good movie. Hmm. Like, it, it almost feels, like, hamstrung by the inclusion of the Batman mythos. Like, I... And, and the Batman stuff that's in it is so incidental, I can't help but thinking this was this was an existing story idea or existing script that wouldn't sell, and then somebody decided, oh, but then he's also turns out to be the Joker, and then that's what got this movie made. Um because that all happens so late in the movie and the Batman stuff is so incidental. And I guess, I guess I got to take, I, having seen the Waynes murdered so many times in so many movies, seeing it happen again in this movie, on the one hand, storytelling wise, it makes perfect sense within the content within the context of this movie. But outside of that, do I have to watch them die again? If, if they don't do it in every movie, it's pretty damn close, right? They showing that flashback and yeah, and the the yanking the pearls off the necklace. It's uh, it's yeah. I mean, because like it's 
I'm not. I'm not. I'm also not sure. Like it's. I. I wouldn't say that this is worth being nominated by as for best picture. That being said, Joaquin Phoenix does a damn good job. Yeah. Uh, best. Uh, best actor, definitely. But it is so. And it is. As I said, I don't know if it's a bad good movie or a good bad movie. There's just there is. There's a lot going on in it, but it is a bit overstuffed. Um, does it feel edgy also, for the sake of being edgy, or is there an actual story? Or no, no, not really. I mean, it, there's well, funnily, funnily, I mean, there no, there is, there is an actual story. I mean, it follows, it follows uh, Joaquin Phoenix uh, as a as a guy who is a uh, a guy with a uh, with a, a mental disorder who works as a clown, and it's just his, it's his downward spiral until he rises from the ashes. And it's and it's one of those things. The movie it's so overstuffed. It's hard to figure out its its moral its moral philosophy because the real turning point. Uh, his name is Arthur Fleck, by the way, not Jack Napier. Uh, the, the real turning point in his life comes uh, when he does perform an act of vigilante justice. Uh, he's on a subway car late at night, and there's these three drunk kind of Wall Street bros um, harassing this young woman, and it just it escalates until. Uh, until uh, Arthur shoots two of them and then chases down a third to shoot him. And that's the turning point for him and everyone else in Gotham city as, as you know, people parse over this murder that happened on the subway. And it feels, it feels like it wants to sort of compare and contrast what the Joker does in that moment to what Batman will end up doing every night and, and Mm. commenting on vigilante, the nature of vigilante justice, but it never quite explores that. I am tickled pink that Mark Maron has a short role in the film of a yes. WTF fame. Yeah, he's a producer. On, there's this movie, like this movie. Clearly, it's meant to take place possibly in the late seventies, early eighties, but it's sort of outside of time in the way the Batman the animated series is. You can't really pin down a date. But yeah, Gotham has a local late night talk show hosted by Robert De Niro, and Mark Maron's a producer, and he gets a few good lines in this movie. Uh, on on an episode of the show, he would, he was talking about working with uh, Robert De Niro in the scene, and after the first take, De Niro talks to the director Todd Phillips, who also directed the Hanover trilogy. It should be mentioned, and and Todd Phillips went up to Mark Marin and said, "You're you're overdoing." De Niro has told me, you know, Bobby told me to, "You're overdoing it a bit. Can you tone it down a bit?" <laughs> <laughs> And one thing, so one thing in this movie that, that that doesn't quite work. So one thing that is kind of clear, there's a couple of moments where, like, Arthur has this, like, real intense sort of fan relationship to De Niro's talk show. And to the, to the point where there's some, there's some moments where, if you think about it, he's hallucinating stuff that he has, that he never actually saw on TV. Um, but part of what gets the ball rolling in his relationship with the talk show is that Arthur, among other things, tries to be a stand-up comedian. And there's a scene where he does a set, and the fumbling way he tries to do his own set is kind of endearing and does start to win the audience over. They do start like laughing with him, not at him. Um, and he becomes famous because a viral clip of that uh, of that uh, stand-up act. Uh, they start playing it on the talk show. And there's a few things wrong with that. Namely that 
viral this movie takes place in an age where viral clips were not invented and there's no way in hell anyone got video of that stand-up set because you would have needed a whole analog camera crew set up in the nightclub wow so when so when that clip starts showing up when he's watching the talk show i thought oh well obviously he's hallucinating this happening but no turns out that actually happened and he gets invited on the talk show that, Almost in like a Tommy Wiseau kind of way. That seems pretty unbelievable. On the other hand, I guess Lutterman did do stupid pet tricks and stupid people tricks. He would have, huh? Okay. Well, I mean, that's the thing because he he is clearly brought on the talk show to be to be kind of made fun of. He's brought on in that kind of Tommy Wiseau sort of way. Yeah. And yet, the audience at the club did like his act. I don't think that was a hallucination. Um, and I don't like. I don't understand why you would why you would invite a comedian who's apparently successfully telling a joke on your talk show to to make fun of him when you could just have him do a version of that set. I mean that that's kind of what I was waiting for. I was waiting for him to start to have real success as a comedian and then fuck it up with an awful choice. But he barely makes any choices in this movie. Do you find this movie as interesting as the backstory of the Joker in the uh, Killing Joke comic? I, in general, I find the Joker just works better without an origin story. When he's mm. a, when he's a cipher, he's much more effective, and and much more terrifying. What? The other thing yeah. that this would imply is that he's so old, and Bruce Wayne is so young. By the time Bruce Wayne is Batman, <laughs> Joker's going to be retirement age. Couldn't there be multiple Jokers though? That's something they play with on that Gotham TV show. I mean, I guess you could. I mean, because that—that's a big part of the climax of the film. Is there's a citywide riot with people in clown masks that have been inspired by Joker, either because of his talk show appearance or because of the vigilante killings on the subway. But like, no one's really in a position to take up the mantle, and he does survive. That's—that's that's the other thing that I and I think this might be why I do have some positive feelings for this film. Is that it ends? It ends in such a quiet way, where he's in he's in a mental institution. He's clearly been arrested. He's clearly been tried. He's he's being confined, and he's and he just starts giggling. And that's and that's part of his his mental disorders. When he's under stress, he'll start laughing, um, regardless of what he's actually feeling. And and this, you think it's that, and then you you think that that's why he's laughing. Then he's like, no, oh, I just thought of a joke I heard once, um, and. It just cuts to the static shot of this hospital corridor, and the Joker walks out into the corridor and just starts walking up the corridor. But if you'll notice, he's leaving bloody footprints behind, implying that he's killed his his analyst. Mm. And you know, mu- and this gentle mu- music starts playing, a very my way sounding sort of song. And that's the only thing on the track. And the Joker suddenly gets really animated, turns and runs, and we just keep seeing him running back and forth, being chased by two burly orderlies. And it's so joyous and so comical. Like, it's a. But then you realize that the whole time there are these bloody footprints in the foreground. I think. I think that moment is what this movie was trying to be, but it takes such a roundabout way to get there. Mm. That, that that tone kind of gets muddled as it goes. I've heard the score by Hildur Gwunt. I can't pronounce that name. Um, is is quite good. 
Oh, it, it definitely works. I mean, I, I, that kind of goes to the goes to the confusion because everybody in this movie is definitely trying really hard. There are no lazy performances. Clearly, you know, someone put a lot of care into this script. There's a lot of care that went into the into the directing, but the parts don't quite fit together into one coherent film. And the incoherence is probably a deliberate choice, but it does. But the movie, the movie is always undermining itself. So a sequel to Joker is in development. This got nominated for something like 10 Oscars. Uh, a surprising amount, um, yeah. So I, I do think uh, Heath Ledger, you know, won the supporting actor role, I think, for the Joker in The Dark Knight after he died. Joaquin Phoenix, I, I don't know if he will win for this movie, but maybe the Joker will be the role that actors do in the future to try and get Oscars. Yeah, and that, that'll be, an, if that happens, that'll be an interesting world to live in. Yes, um, and I mean Joaquin Phoenix. I, I don't know. He reminds me of Nicolas Cage in that I'm not sure his choices always work, but he he always commits to it. Mm, and you yeah. can tell that he always challenged himself as an actor. Always tries different things. Um, huh? They intended the Joker to launch DC Black, a line of DC comic based films, <laughs> unrelated to the DCU, with darker material. Uh, every every movie is designed to launch an interconnected franchise of other movies. Yes, no, that's absolutely true. Yep. Which is why uh, Little Women is going to tie in with the crossover to the Littles in twenty twenty three. And and the uh, not not Anna Green Gables or Sarah Plain and Tall. No, or Little Men, or Farmer Boy. <laughs> All these things. Yeah. And, and of course, like they talk about the, the DC universe, that's all even more sort of compounded by the events of the uh, CW's recent Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover, which imply that none of the Zack Snyder movies exist anymore. <laughs> uh, I, I could I watch that series of episodes without seeing the whole series? Would I be confused? You probably, I mean, as long if you can buy into the fact that they were superheroes, you can probably follow it. Um, I don't think you need to have read the Crisis comics to understand it. They do a pretty pretty good job setting it up. The only thing that might be difficult there's a cup there's a couple of moments in the crossover that only really work because they're they're characters and actors who have inhabited those characters for several years. And, and they have the guy that does the voice of the animated Batman, right? On there, Kevin Conroy. Yeah, yeah. yeah Kevin Conroy plays a live action Batman. Uh, you you will be shocked at the people who show up in in this crossover. I saw I, I, I saw the clip of uh, Burt Ward. Yep. Wearing and a, that's and man, and if, there's more than that. Yeah, if Adam West would have been alive, god damn it. Oh, if he was alive, I'm sure he would have been a part of it. And it's a tragedy uh, that they couldn't get a little something from him. But they got pretty much everyone else. I mean, every, I will say every live action DC property in living memory is represented here. I think everything except for the 1970s Captain Marvel series is represented in this movie. Mm. Or in this, in the crossover. Is uh, Mark Hamill in it? Uh, strangely enough, no, although I'm sure this was probably being filmed while he was wrapping up, uh, the most recent Star Wars film. Um, so that could, that could be why. I'm also sure, I'm also sure that now that he's back, Mark Hamill's been back in Star Wars, he's a lot more expensive than he used to be. Um, he showed up several times on The Flash, but then the new Star Wars movies entered production and he kind of vanished. Right. 
Interesting. Cool. No, I have to check out Joker. I, I've heard good things about it with all the nominations. And uh, also for the Oscars this year, they're not having a host. They're just doing the multiple host thing, which I think kind of, I don't think that's as fun. But Well, you know, I, m- many people have said this, but why not have the Muppets host it? Yes, that's true. That'd be a good one. Um, but yeah, so Joker and uh, yeah, the Star Wars stuff we're going to talk about in the next few weeks. So I can't really <laughs> get into that. Um, I, I I do have a quick story about when I was moving into the new house. I broke the old TV. I accidentally whacked oh, the no. inside of it to on the edge of the car. It hit where the sensor is for the remote. So the remote Ooh. doesn't work, and the way they build TVs nowadays, the only physical button is the on-off button. <laughs> so it was like, oh no! Uh, maybe some kid can fix it. So we had to, we just bought something else, and TVs are cheap nowadays. It's our the first time I, I've really seen a 4K TV, and uh, I had to go on the internet and to figure out how to do the menus and turn off that damn motion smoothing thing. Oh it has yeah, all that's these a bad feature. Presets all set on. Uh, that it just was making me like nauseous, and I never really felt that before. But it was something about the the unreality of the movement at that speed, and in 4K, it really looks surreal. If you think it looks weird in normal TV, um, I believe it does upscaling. On the other hand, if you watch a lot of like normal DVDs, ironically, they would look worse on a 4K TV. Hmm. Not that it tries to stretch it to the screen, but it tries to do upscaling i'm still learning it the menu we got an lg as the brand and the menu is very very confusing i cannot imagine a normal person bothering jumping into the settings but um that's that's for film and av nerds like us to worry about yeah well there's an interesting initiative it hasn't started showing up on tvs i think it will later this year where filmmakers like martin scorsese and steven spielberg uh advocated for a filmmaker button on your remote that if the tv supports it it basically will turn off all the shit I could go for that. I could because, absolutely yeah, go and for I that. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, the, the other thing, if it has to be a setting, I would love an analog setting where it doesn't try to scale stuff up. Oh, it just oh, presents yeah, older media in its original in, in its original aspect ratio yeah, and its need, original with yeah. its original flaws intact. Right. Yeah. No. I need to look and see how to do that. It was on some, um, I think, on the movies that made us podcast, Bill Hader was on. Uh, not that long oh, ago, yeah. and he was saying he kind of wished that Blu-rays would have like a crap button on it to make <laughs> to make if you're watching something like Blood Sucking Freaks or you know to make it look a bit worse. Yeah, that that it, <laughs> that it takes out the uh, the remastering. The sharpness, yeah, maybe it keeps the audio to sound better, but it, uh, muddies up the picture. Oof. Okay. Roll. Uh, well, very good. So, I mean, uh, next time on Sequel Cast. Oh, but before that, we have the sequel scene. <laughs> yes, and we I do. And this was a hard one to do because I could find almost no documentation of like, of like, like what. So on the quotes page for this, which is on IMDb, which is usually where we pull our dialogue for sequel scenes, there's almost nothing on there. And one of the quotes is just Ivan Drago saying, "It's okay," with no context. So the line we have isn't exactly in the movie. It's in the trailer. A reworked version of this exchange is in the movie. <laughs> Got it. All right. So what part do you want to play? I don't. Do you remember which one of us did Rocky last time? I don't. Uh, I guess. I guess I'll do Rocky, okay, and I'll do, do Adonis. And they are talking. Uh, 
Rocky's giving life wisdoms, as he often does in these uh, films. So, uh, go. So, it's in the ring. You got rules. Outside, you got nothing. Life, life hates with all these cheap shots. People like me, we live in the past. You got people that need you now. You got everything to lose. This guy's got nothing to lose. I ain't got a choice. That's the same thing your father said, and he died right here. In my hands. Listen, listen to me. This guy, he's dangerous. But you don't think I can beat him? Rocky doesn't say anything. When you hear the sound effect, bring turn to page two. <laughs> yeah, when, when, you, when you hear the rib cracking when it get punched in the side, that's when you turn the page. You know? That's right. So, um, that would be great because you know, like Rocky would have like a biography published, and then you could have the auto the audiobook on Audible done by Rocky Balboa. Um, oddly enough, uh, Sylvester Stallone did a book called Sly Moves that is part brief memoir, part exercise book, and uh, it has an audiobook of it. But, like, how do you do an audiobook of an exercise book? Pick up the weights, he, lift him, he found a way, lift him 20 times. <laughs> Okay, you take those really heavy ropes, you sort of swing them around. Uh, there is a good quote from that book where Stallone says he would sometimes look at his muscles, kiss them, and tell them to grow. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, grow, grow. It sounds weird. I'm nurturing you here. <laughs> All right, so uh, next time around, we will be looking at good old... Uh, the Star Wars sequel trilogy. I think the spinoffs we should save for another time. Oh, really? Like a special sort yeah. of catch-up, maybe? Yeah, or as, okay. as a separate series of two movies, it's kind of its own thing. Well, a separate series of four movies, if you want to count the Ewok adventures. And we probably should, so I'll have to track that down. But yeah, that sounds good. Um, so we will do the sequel trilogy, or I don't know. They, there's some new official name Disney has for it that I have no idea what it's called. But, I don't either. I had no idea there was a special name for the new trilogy. Yeah, I think it started showing up in the in the dust jacket of some of the books, uh, and the in the books across all media. They're doing something called Project Luminous in 2020, which nobody really knows what it is or what that even means. But it'll be some weird video game, I'm sure. I'm sure there'll be a video game tie-in. I think I think it'll be something where. Um, It'll be like a series of 20 books or something. They haven't done something like that uh, in a while since in the, in the old hmm. Del Rey days. Um, anyhow, yeah, um, the Star Wars sequel trilogy with Kylo Ren. And uh, it, it should be interesting. I mean, it's, it has fostered a lot of discussion uh, online and in person. And I think uh, I, I worked with the guy. I told him I, I liked Last Jedi, and he looked at me like I killed his dog. Um, it's... It it shocks me how divisive that movie has become. Although I'm, I'm sure we we will save most of that discussion for when we get to it. Yeah, so should be a pretty neat um, discussion, and we'll see where things go uh, go from there. I did I did see news of a really cool. They're doing a 27 disc box set of the Skywalker saga. But they're charging almost $300 for it. I bet. Which is, that's what Disney does, right? They make a limited print run, charge a lot, and then it... Uh, so I'm, I've bought those movies so many times, I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't mean I'm not thinking about it, but I'm also... But 
You ever seen Nick Frost's uh, comedy series Hyperspace? No. Or Hyperdrive? No. It's a workplace comedy, but the workplace is a starship sent out by Great Britain to protect Britain's interests in an ever-changing galaxy. And there's a running gag. He loves an old sci-fi show from from you know the past mm-hmm. which is clearly an analog for doctor who and there's a running gag where every few episodes he makes a comment about how he just bought the complete series again on the new updated <laughs> format but like the form it's always a bullshit sci-fi format he's like no no i mean you know the old set was done on pyramids the new set's better quality it's on cubes and he holds up this glass cube <laughs> and oh that, that's all i can think of whenever I, I hear about repurchasing star wars on a new format What's the movie? Here's a question we can end the show on. What's the movie you've repurchased the most Ooh. on different formats? Probably heavy metal. Mm. I might be wrong, but that's what comes to mind. Mine might be Back to the Future. Mm. Good choice. Yeah. All right. So um, you can uh, go on. Amazon to buy my book, The Films of Uwe Boll, Volume 1, The Video Game Movies. I'm hard at work on Volumes 2 and 3. Uh, I recently got a review on the website Cemetery Dance for the book, cool. which is um, not not a positive review, but it's very funny. I think I might use a pull <laughs> quote from it nonetheless in the, in the future books. Well, work for Tom Lear. Uh, who's that? Oh, so he he was a he was a, a professor of mathematics, uh, but also a musical satirist. If you ever heard the Element song, yes, that's probably yeah. the most well known okay. song he ever did. But for I think it was like his second album, which might have been called like an Evening Ruined by Tom Lear. Um, he it there were pull quotes on the cover for the album, but they were all pull quotes from negative reviews. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm when I think when I read a negative review, it it is surreal reading a negative review of your own work. I, I have to say. Oh um, yeah, but I don't think it changes the way I I would criticize review something myself. But um, there is what was I going to say? Oh yeah, the, the there is a show on UPN called The Secret Diary of Desmond Pfeiffer. And yeah, we we've threatened to do a podcast about that show for a while. <laughs> I have to see if it's on YouTube. If it is, we might. Uh, we just might. But it, it it got so savage that one of their ad campaigns was critics hate it, and they showed all these terrible pull quotes. You'll love it. <laughs> I mean, the, the show did not last past a season. But someone uh, I posted about it on the Gilbert Gottfried Amazing Colossal Listener Listener Society on Facebook, and someone said, "You know, the show is really kind of an American version of Black Adder." And that was hard to argue against. And it was like, mm, seen from that point of view, like it's less offensive. Americans don't often understand satire. I say that being an American, take it what you will. Uh, this has gone off the rails. So, um, yeah, follow us uh, on Twitter at SequelCast2. Leave a good review on uh, Apple Podcast app or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen to us on Stitcher. And we're also now on Spotify. Yep, you can follow me on Twitter at Internet Mayor. You can buy my stuff on drivethroughrpg.com. Just search for William T. Thrasher. Hey, Crasher, why don't you plug, uh, is that book out yet that you contributed to, that your profile shows you holding the book of? 
Oh, that well, that that's the uh, core rules for Wrath and Glory. That's been out for a while. Although Cubicle Seven is coming out with a revised edition uh, within the next couple of months, so definitely check that out. I will be con- I will be contributing to that line again. Uh, I, I believe uh, I'm just waiting to hear. I'm waiting to hear some stuff, but things are moving ahead. I'm, I'm very I'm very looking forward to it. I just can't announce what I will be doing for it. <laughs> There's always an NDA. Admit it. It was you that did the Wendy's RPG supplement. That was not me. Okay. That was, I could talk about that too, but that's sure. another subject for another podcast. We got to wrap things up because we all got stuff to do. Definitely. So uh, for sequel cast two, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. Uh, I can't remember a quote, so I'm just going to say these are my two turtles, you know, Cuff and Link. You, you get it? Cuff and Link. I don't get it, Rocky. Never have, never will. There's this tiger, you know, let, let your heart do the thinking for once. I would go to war I would go to war